going to start a new series today. Uh, uh, welcome to the new guys. Let me open this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these uh, guys and uh, just, Lord, the opportunity uh, to uh, celebrate your goodness and your grace and uh, uh, just um, just be, um, be uh, your child. And uh, so, God, if we look, um, look to you and celebrate um, what you've done in our lives, God, just let us become the man that God uses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, I was just noticing this. My broke, my belt just broke. Look at that. <laughs> I went to put my hand in my pocket and I felt this thing dangling down. I thought I was being attacked by a snake. And so uh, that's what happens when you buy $4 belts at Walmart. <laughs> Could you get this taken care of for me? And... Uh, Good Lord. Huh. All right. We're talking about the belt of truth. Uh, no. Um, all right. Man, God, used, here's the reality of it is, guys. As we start this, um, God, uh, God didn't create anything without a purpose. Every, every one of us has a purpose. Every animal that God created, uh, the, the sun, the sea, uh, the universe, everything that God created uh, has a purpose, and in, as such, um, we need to know and write this down. Do you have a pen? Do we have pens to go around as well? There's pens at the back if somebody needs one. Uh, God, write this down. God created every man for a purpose. God created every man for a purpose. Every one of us has a purpose, and um, there is, um, you know, a, a plan for everyone's life. God has a plan for your life and my life, but the reality of it is God's plan for your life is different than God's plan for my life. Uh, God's plan for my life uh, was clearly that that I was to be a pastor. This is what I know I'm called to do, called to do, and called to be. Now that doesn't mean it, that it, that it's without troubles. There aren't difficulties. There aren't hardships, uh, and it doesn't even mean that I'm going to be the best pastor in the world. Because if you've been here, you know that is not the case. Uh, but God has a plan for me. Someone else, uh, God has a plan for your life. You know, and uh, some of you end up in you know medical business and medical sales, and others end up in the, in the energy business, and some people end up in, end up in education, and others end up in ministry, and others end up uh, in different kind of cells. And so you, you, you don't know. We don't all know what God has for us. I can't necessarily say what God has for you, but here's what I know. God has something different for each one of us, but I'll promise you, God has a purpose for every man. Uh, somebody uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, in him, Mr. O'Neill, in him we also are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, notice those few words, in him we were chosen. Now, jump down to the end of that. We were chosen to do what? To be conformed to the purpose of his will. We were chosen to be conformed to his will. His will is different for my life than it is for your life. But he does have a will for both of our lives. Notice the next passage there, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created 
through him and for him. And God created everything with a plan. In him, all things were created. That includes you, that includes me, that includes our, our wives and our kids and our moms and our dads and everything that you see that was created by God. It, it has a plan. Now, get this. You were made to last forever. And, and here's something we all need to remember. You were made to last forever. I was made to last forever. We will spend a whole lot more time on the other side of eternity than this side. You get that? We will, we will spend eternity with God, and so when we look back on it, for those who live 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, even those who are blessed to live 100 years, um, that is nothing but a blip in the screen compared to how long we will live in eternity. And so in some measure, uh, everything we do down here is just preparation for eternity with God. It's preparation for, for eternity with God. So it's practice, all right? Remember a, number, a couple of years ago, we're talking about practice. This is practice. This is practice for some of the things that we're going to do in all of eternity. Now, if we're going to spend eternity doing uh, certain things with God, we need to go ahead and get some practice now, right? We're going to talk about some of the ways and five, the five purposes that God has for us this morning. And so as we roll through uh, today, I want to give you five purposes. Now, you want to be engaged in these five purposes because you don't want to show up to heaven and be a total rookie. All right, where God says, hey, we're going to worship now, and you go, I don't know how to do that. Uh, we're going to fellowship with the other believers around heaven, and you say, I don't know how to do that. We're going to serve today. Today is a day of service in heaven, and remember, in heaven, a day is like a 1,000 years, and so you're going to be serving for a long time. You don't want to say, well, I've never done that, right? So we've got to get some practice. So I'm going to kind of give you an overview today of really uh, what God's plan for our life is and what God's plan for your life is. Here's number one. God plans you for his pleasure. Write that down. God plans you for his pleasure. Now, I use the word pleasure. You might want to just above that or near that. Write this out. God plans you. Right next to the word pleasure, you might want to just put a slash and write the, name, write the word humor. When I think about it, there have to be times that God looks down at us and gets a chuckle, right? Uh, so I, but God planned us for his pleasure. God, God created us so that we would give him glory, that we would bring him glory. There are times that he has to look down at me and go, really, did you just say that? You know, did you just do that? And, but, he, but he did. He, he created us for his pleasure, his way. Um, think about it. One of the common themes all the way through Scripture is God is referred to as the Heavenly Father, right? In other words, He is our, our, our ultimate parent. Um, if you think about Jesus when He hung on the cross, uh, He started His first phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, referring to Him as a Father, right? Started His last phrase on the uh, the cross, the seventh cry from the cross, uh, with that word Father. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Let me ask you a question. What, what parent that is in their right mind, that understands their purpose as a parent, what parent doesn't get pleasure out of watching their kids, right, and enjoying their kids? 
And if we as men are children of God, uh, that has to remind us, that has to tell us that God gets pleasure out of watching us, right? That God gets pleasure out of watching us after seeing us. And, and when, he, when he watches us, sometimes um, he gets a chuckle. Sometimes he's disappointed. Uh, sometimes he's elated. But what are the, what's the most important thing we like to see with our kids? We like to see them grow, right? I mean, isn't that what wives are tuned to and in tune to, to watch our kids grow? And uh, our oldest two uh, were 14 months apart. Jace uh, was always, for some reason, was in the 95th biggest percentile. You know, had the big head, the big body, the big everything. And Jordan was only 14 months behind him. And for some reason, Jordan was always in the bottom 10% in size. And so you'd look at our kids and you'd think they were three or 40 years different because he was always big and she was always little. But one of the things that we notice is they all grew at their own pace. I remember at one point that uh, Gina was really concerned about uh, about Jordan's pace because you're like, all right, shouldn't she be growing more? Anybody have a kid that, that you've been worried about? They're really small for a while. And so, you know, the mama's heart and, you know, just, just kind of uh, watching. So she took, took them in and, no, she's, she's progressing. She's just small. She's progressing. She's just small. Just going to be a gymnast. You know, that's what you need to get it. And, and she, remember my, my wife, go, go back and do it again. Said, she's just not seemed to be growing. What was she interested in? She was worried that she wasn't growing. She wasn't worried at all because Jesus, Jay, Jesus, Jay seemed to be growing too much. She was worried about one that didn't grow. And the reality of it is um, it came down to, I remember one doctor finally saying, listen, the reason why it's such a stark reality is because you have one at the top end of the spectrum, one at the bottom end of the spectrum. It's okay. She's healthy. All right. She's right. Here, here's, here's the reality. If God's looking at us, he sees different levels of growth in each of us. Now, let's be honest, guys. Some of us are, are, have grown in our season on this earth, in our season as a believer, much faster and much bigger, spiritually speaking, um, than others, right? But God looks down, and, and as long as we're growing at our pace, it's okay. Now, there are times... There are times, and there have been times in our church that uh, a child that I've dedicated or something really is growing at an abnormally slow pace, and, and they get concerned. The doctors get concerned. They'll, they'll, they'll give them some human growth hormone or something like that to, to spur them along. So there are times that we need to understand that sometimes there, there's something wrong. And so we need to understand when we think about growing spiritually, we may not, we may look at someone that's been a believer just as long as I have, but they've way outpaced us in their discipline and their spiritual study and their study of God's Word. Uh, and, and, and that's the way I felt because uh, I kind of grew up in church and uh, pretty much ignored everything I did in church except for the girls until I surrendered the ministry. Uh, that was after I graduated from Baylor, and I had been in the workforce for a number of years. And then I returned back, and I remember going back to seminary my first time and seeing some young people that didn't have undergrad education, and they knew so much more about the Bible than, than I did. And uh, I can remember being in seminary class and the, 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 you know, the, the teacher would be up there and say, all right, now turn over, turn over to a backup. 
And, and I, I, it's probably about like you if I just said, hey, uh, uh, Josh, uh, turn to Habakkuk and read from chapter 1. And you'd like, like now? Like, like now? Can, can I go to the table of contents and find where? I, I, I remember having that fear that they were going to call on me. And I'm thinking, I should know where. I know it's Habakkuk. It's kind of over in the left side of the Bible a little, little bit, somewhere in the Minor Prophets. right? And I remember people just stand up and they'd read and they could turn there. And I'm like, golly, I should know all this. Um, now, the truth is, some of those people, when we started in seminary, are no longer in the ministry. They're no longer in the ministry. They, they looked good for a season, but, they, but they're no longer serving God. So don't get in the habit when you think about your spiritual growth of always looking at someone else, there's always going to be someone else that outpaces you. There's always going to be someone that's behind you. You just make sure you are growing at the pace you can. Does that make sense? All right, so look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, this is what Scripture says, talking about God. We remember, remember the whole idea here is God planned us for his pleasure. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Notice those first few words. You are worthy, God, to receive glory and honor. God created us for his pleasure. So the number one thought in this is God deserves glory from us. God deserves glory from us. Now, write this. Here's your next, uh, uh, here's your next thought. God chose you in his love. How did God choose me? God chose you in his love. Write that word love down. God chose you in his love. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, For, for he chose us. And uh, if you followed some of the news media uh, in the last couple of weeks, a lot of people apparently viewed online a giraffe giving birth to a baby. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It, it took the world by storm. You know, and, and people just, and I'm like, Get a job. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you actually viewed it live online? Anybody willing to confess? But you at least knew about it, right? The truth is that that giraffe, as unique as it is, was not created in the image of God. The birth of every child is the birth of someone who is created in the image of God. In all your imperfections, in all of your strengths, in all of your weaknesses, humans, men and women, are created in the image of God. And God didn't need us. He chose that. I love the, uh, the idea, if you look all the way back into Genesis, what did God say? Let us create man, both male and female, in our image. Even a reference right there in Genesis chapter 1 to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us cr create them in our image. So here's the second thought. You ready? Write it. God chose you so that we would love him. Those two words, love him. God chose you so you would love him. God chose you. He he chose you in his love, but then he chose you to love him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus replied that we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandments. 
God wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The most important thing you can know in life is this, is that God loves you. The second most important thing that you can know in your life is that your job is to love him back. Does that make sense? Number one thing, you need to always know God loves you. Regardless of um, how good you've been, how faithful you've been to God, God loves you. Think of the story of the prodigal son, right? Uh, the prodigal son, the son comes in and says, Hey, Dad, I know you hadn't died yet. Go ahead and give me my inheritance, right? And then the prodigal son takes off and lives a difficult life. Was there ever a time that the father in the story did not stop loving his son? Absolutely not. Part of how you know that is that when the son was still afar off, the father saw him, acknowledged him, said, hey, gather all the celebration, uh, uh, kill the animal. We're going to have a blast tonight. And so that's the whole key is we need to understand that number one purpose in life is to understand that God loves me, but also my responsive purpose is that we would love God back. Uh, look, at, uh, look at the first purpose. The first, so the first purpose this is a summary. The first purpose of our life is this, to know and love God. Write that down. The first purpose of our life is to know and love God. Psalm 149, verse 4 says, For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. God takes delight in us. Remember, we were created for his pleasure. And how do we do that? To know and to love God. Here's number two. Write this down. God formed every man, including me, for his family, the church. Write that down. The church. God formed each and every one of us for the church. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes men can make. Uh, on any given Sunday, I will promise you Easter wouldn't have happened. Uh, we're going to look a little bit, little bit more of this. If, if there weren't ladies on campus, guys, a lot of times we can say, you know, I just love uh, to be out in the woods or on the lake, and I can, be, I can really worship God. But I want you to know God created you for his family. Well, who's his earthly family? It's the church. It's not necessarily this church, only this church, but it is this church. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. Uh, what, is the, what are those last four words in that phrase mean? What does it mean? What is the body of Christ? What is the body of God here on this earth? It's what? Huh? We are. Which is who? What does it say? Which is the body? The church. The church is the body of Christ. We are uh, the body of Christ. God created us and called us to the church. There's a reason God created the church. Now, uh, let's be honest. There are a lot of people. What, what are some of the most, ex most common excuses you hear from people who say they don't go to church? Why, why don't people go to church? Hypocrites. Absolutely. That's the number one thing. You know, I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. Uh, but I'm a Christian. Well, that's hypocritical because you can't see anywhere in the New Testament where there was a believer that didn't have a church, didn't have a local. But, but the truth is, hey, note to self, there are a lot of hypocrites in the church, right? There are. What are some of the other excuses uh, that people uh, use for, um, for not going to church? Hypocrites, I, I would say that's number one. What's somebody, somebody give me another one. Well, 
Wrong music. Yep. A lot of people, I just don't like the music down there. And then go, yeah. Uh, some people don't like the preacher. What are some other things that you hear? Too early. Really? All right. The weather. Okay. No, I'm talking about not, not just that Sunday in particular. Oh, you do hear a lot of that. What, what's another one? There you go. What was that? Who said, who said that? There we go. Always asking for money. How many of you? Hypocrites. I think the two most common things is hypocrites and they're always asking for money. Well, you always want to ask those people, do you go see a Hollywood movie? How many Hollywood stars are hypocrites? And what do they charge you to get in that movie? But they keep going back over and over. So those are just faux excuses not to be connected with God's church. Let me tell you, every, everywhere you go, whether it's a sporting event or this or that, man, so, you, know, you know, think about uh, just every year there are, there are guys that uh, love a certain town until another town gives them more money to come play sports for them, right? So you would say, were there hypocrites on your team? Do the Cowboy, does Jerry Jones let you come watch his team for free? So in other words, they're not, not really offended by hypocrites and people asking for money. It's just that they don't want to be connected with the church. It's really an excuse is what it is. But God created us for his family, the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Praise be to God, to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That idea is new birth, a new birth into a family. Every child is born into a family. Every child is born into a family. Now, we know because of sin in our world that, that some people don't want their kids, right? Uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have people all the time ending pregnancies because they don't want a child. But the reality of it is every child that is conceived, is conceived into a family, a, a, a mother and a father, a husband or a father and a mother. Every child is born. And so God, when he gave us the new birth, when you became a Christian, you were born into a family. Well, his family is the body of Christ, which is the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul is talking to uh, the believers and really the Ephesians there, talking to his, his young, uh, young protege, Timothy. He says, if I'm delayed, Timothy, you will know how the people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, notice what it is. Um, Paul says, if I'm delayed... I'm writing these things so you'll know how to conduct yourselves in God's household. That's the family. We're born into the family of God. The church is the family of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. I mean, part of what the church is supposed to do is be the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what always breaks my heart when I hear of a, a mainline denomination or a church veering off the path and compromising the truth. The, the truth is, the truth is always going to offend someone, right? The truth is, truth is always going to offend someone. And the more you hold on to truth. Now, here's where we want to be careful when we think about that. Remember, the pillar of truth is not the kind of music we sing. Whether it's we sing out of the hymnal or we sing some worship chorus or it's a modern church or it's a traditional church or whether it's got, you know, uh, pews or chairs, those things are not the pillar of the church. Now, the downside 
is that if we are a family of God, how many of you have more than one kid? You ever said to your kids what I actually said to my kids last night as I was sitting here looking over this? Y'all just shut up and do what your mom has asked you to do, all right? You ever had to say that? They're just bickering and fighting. Well, I did this, and you did this. Well, I unloaded the dishwasher last time. Well, you loaded it last time. Well, it was a big, it was full. Well, I only did half of one. You know, and you're just like, what did your mom ask you to do? You know, what did your mom ask you to do? What, that's, there are times that, that our kids bicker, right? And you say, do you like each other, right? And it's pointless, right? Truth is, there are a lot of times people are going to come to church and they're going to be people bickering. They're going to be, that's called a business meeting in a Baptist church, right? And they bicker over stupid stuff. And, and they don't even get it, right? You're looking at your kids you're going, guys, if y'all could have had the chores done if you hadn't started going after each other, right? And you start recounting everything. Well, I picked up your, your shoes last time and you left this out there. Truth is, in a family, which we are born into, the church, there's going to be bickering. There are people that you'll, even within my four kids, even within my four kids, if you have multiple kids, I've noticed even among the four, there are alliances that are built. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of my kids get along, they all get along fine, all right? Um, in other words, they're not always coming to blows. Uh, but there are certain alliances in my kids that they're just drawn to each other, right? Through natural inclination, some, you know, it's, 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 it's a certain, and the truth is that's the way it is in church. There are natural people that you just flow with and that you roll with and I want to talk with. Now, that doesn't mean someone else is bad. That doesn't mean they're negative. That just means they're different. And any time you have people in a family together, they're going to bicker from time to time. The point is not let the bicker get too far and go too far. And so I love that idea of a God, God's household. God's household, it's kind of the training ground for eternity. It's kind of the training ground for eternity. Uh, there's all kinds of people. There's those who are mature, those who are immature, those who are young, those who are old in the faith. Uh, those are people that are harsh in the church. There are people that are great mercy showers. There are talkers, non-talkers. I, I mean, that's a great training ground for ultimately eternity. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, uh, Peter says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. Love the family of believers. Love him. This is a family of believers, man. And, and, and the truth is, when it comes to a family, some of them are whacked out and weird. Anybody have um, any weird extended family members? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole branch of our tree in East Texas that we don't talk about. We don't. Literally, their names are Merville. Ludie, I mean, you just we just don't talk about them. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. My mom will come time now. She's eighty some odd years now, and she'll just get to talking around my kids and my son Jace, who's who's uh, who's a senior at Arkansas. Mom would say just the other day, says, "Yeah, every time we'd go out to Aunt Ludie's house," and and Jace went, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, Aunt Ludie," and he goes, "Ludie, what kind of a name is that?" And mom says, "I don't even know if that was her real name. That's just what we called her, Aunt Ludie." And we were talking because it was Easter, and so we're driving, and he says, man, she always had treats for us. And 
so mom's Jace wants to know, well, what were your treats? He said, man, we'd come in there and she would have cooked sweet potatoes. And you would just grab them and start eating them. And Jace was like, that was a sweet? And she goes, yeah, oh, they're really, really good. Have you had one? Yeah, I've had one, but usually I dump a bunch of brown sugar and butter over it. So you just ate them? She goes, yeah, you just ate them. And that was the sweets. And the truth is there are whacked out and weird people in the church. And don't be shocked, just like your family. Um, look at this. Uh, the, so the second purpose of the church is this. second purpose of a man's life is this, to love people and be connected to God's church. To love people and be connected to God's church. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says, so in Christ, though many... We form one body, and each are members and belongs to the other. We belong to each other. We each belong to each other. Uh, you've probably heard this uh, poem before. It says, to dwell above with the saints we love, now that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, now that's a different story. Right? You, you've heard that point before. The idea of uh, to dwell in eternity with the saints we love, now that's going to be glory. But to dwell below with the ones that I know, now that's a different story. And the reality of it is there are always some people in church that we're not going to like. There are always people in church we're not going to like. That we're not going to get along. There are some people that we're going to love. But the reality of it is we're going to be with all of them in heaven. We're going to be with all of them in heaven. Here's number three. Ready? God created me as a man to become more like Christ. God created me as a man to become more like Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed, <coughs> excuse me, conformed to the image of His Son. Uh, and being conformed to the image of Christ is not just for the pastor. That's not just my job. You shouldn't make a habit of seeing if the pastor is becoming more and more like Christ. It's not just for your Sunday school teacher or life group teacher. It's not just for the deacon. It's not just for the ministerial staff. If you are a believer, God created you to become more like his son. That is why God chose you. Now, as you just briefly think back over your life, particularly recently, how's that played out in your life? Would you say that you're more like Christ this year than you were last year? Next year, will you be more like Christ than you were this year? Notice what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that which was in Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset. So where does it start? If I'm going to be conformed, to Christ, it starts with a mindset. And what is the mindset? It's the mindset of humility. But I also want you to know that word conformed is not an instantaneous process. It is not an instantaneous process. It is a long-term process. It happens little by little by little. And the more I become like Christ, the more I realize I have so much more to go. Boy, if I think back over my 22 years as a pastor here, um, 
I look back and go, golly, I've, I've learned so much. I've studied so much. I know much, so much more scripture, but I also know I've got a lot more to go. I've not arrived. And so it's a process. And so I want you to know, just get on the journey. And it starts with a mindset. Well, what transforms us? If we're, if we're going to be conformed to Christ, what changes us? How does God use, what does God use to transform us, to conform us to his, his son's will? Uh, positively, here are a couple. I just put it on the insert for you. Uh, God's word. Studying God's Word, reading God's Word, uh, knowing God's Word, hearing God's Word. Hopefully that conforms you. God's truth, the truth of God's Word. Being around God's people, right? Being around God's people, looking at somebody and uh, hearing some testimony, hearing, hearing the testimony of, uh, of guys that were broken down in the past or grew up in church and were pretty faithless. Uh, my testimony, man, I was around God's Word all the time, but it wasn't until after I graduated from college that I became faithful about uh, for the very first time, hearing some guys that, man, they once were faithful, then they fell away, they were the prodigal son, then they returned. I mean, that's how God changed it. That's a positive thing. There are some negative things that conform us to be more like Christ, mistakes we've made in the past that we know, man, I don't want to repeat those. I blew it. Uh, also, uh, another negative thing, trials, temptations, difficult people. Sometimes being around difficult people helps shape us. Christ was surrounded by the disciples. Those were some difficult dudes. Those were some difficult dudes that he chose. So Keith thought every problem that God has for you, talking about the negative idea, every problem God has for you allows you to go through as a purpose. Everyone has a purpose. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 17. It says, but since you have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. You say, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, don't be shocked when some people who are in the church go through some trials and tribulations and they drift away. That just demonstrates they had no root. They had, they had no root system to hold them down when the wind began to blow and the tough times. It, it just proves they have no root. So don't be that shocked, man. Uh, our culture breeds shallow right? Our culture breeds shallow. Our culture breeds selfishness. And the truth is we need to know that as a church, as believers. I need to understand that when a lost person comes to our church, they grew up in a certain culture, right? The culture that is all about them. And they have expectations. They expect the school to be about them. They expect uh, the local rec community to be about them. They, they expect, uh, you know, the Walmart to be about them. They expect everything, right? They expect everything to be about them. They expect the, the kind of uh, entertainment that they want. They want social media. So it should not shock us that people come in with those desires and those needs. But what should shock us is when someone has been a believer for a long, long, long time and they haven't been conformed to the image of God's will or Christ's will. What was that? Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be hung on to. But instead, he in his relationships cared more about others than he did of himself. That's becoming more and more like Christ. So the third purpose. Um, of life is to grow up spiritually, to grow up spiritually. Write that down, to grow up spiritually. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, And we all know who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
and being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Notice those words, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Here's number four. Ready? God's purpose for every man, God's plan for every man. God shaped me to serve him. God shaped me to serve him. He created me for his pleasure. He created me to be in his body. He created me to be conformed to Christ. And now he created me to serve him. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God created you to serve him. Well, what what makes your shape? If you've been around here for a while, uh, you've heard us go through this. I've taught this in here before uh, years ago. Um, What what makes your shape? Every person's unique. Every person's different. Uh, Here they are. You might want to just write these down. Just use this acrostic shape. S, spiritual gifts. God has given each and every one of us spiritual gifts, your shape. Some of you are mercy showers. Some of you are, 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 are compassionate. Some of you are generous. Some of you uh, have great skills of administration. Some have talents in different areas. God has given you certain spiritual gifts. That makes you unique. That makes you not me. Some have the gift of teaching. Some, uh, some have the gift of leadership. Some don't have the gift of teaching, and that is okay. That's your unique shape. Uh, the H is God's given you a heart. God has given you a heart. You might want to write out that passion. What's your passion? What's your interest? What are you interested in? There, every one of my kids have a different passion. I have a different passion. I have certain different passions uh, than, than my wife does. I have a different heartbeat for certain things that, that, that she gets that I don't get. And it's the reverse of that. My, my consume fiction books. She just loves to, you know, healthy fiction. I hate them. Because I know from the very beginning of the story, it's not true. So I see no reason to waste my time. But that's her heart. She loves that, but it's part of what makes her creative. She's a teacher, and she loves to do creative things. Uh, Your abilities. Your abilities shape you. Uh, Some have certain talents and abilities and gifts and skills that I'll never have. And so don't ever be shocked that you have different abilities. The P is personality. Everybody has a personality. My guess is if we went, uh, what is it, Briggs, Myers, Myers, Briggs, or whatever, you know, you'd, you'd, some people are this, some people are that, right? They, all, they always have the, have the different, uh, uh, different names. And, you know, you, you, you say, boy, he's kind of got a type A personality. And someone else, well, you're type B. And we all can point at someone and say, yeah, they're type F, right? They got an F in personality, right? But everybody's personality is a little different. Then last one, your experiences. Your experiences. I'll say what I said uh, time and time. God never wasted an experience. Some of you grew up in great homes where moms and dads loved each other. Some of you grew up in foster homes. Some of you grew up in, uh, man, there, God never wasted your experiences. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2, talking about God created us to serve him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is, from, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. We were saved by faith, by through grace. But listen to this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So what does verse 10 say God created us for? To do good works. 
We were created to do good works, to serve him. So your fourth purpose is right here. Fourth purpose of life, to serve God by serving others. Write that down. To serve God by serving others. Notice what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He said, each of you should use, use your gift that you have received to do what? To serve others. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others others. You know, it's kind of interesting. I think there's kind of a false idea uh, that when we get to heaven, that we're just going to kind of sit around and enjoy heaven. That, man, God and the angels are just going to, they're, they're going to wait on us. And, and let me tell you, that is not what heaven's going to be like. We are going to be serving. Others have this idea that uh, heaven, you know, we're all going to get our own little cloud and be isolated and we'll just be playing a harp through all of eternity. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, let me be honest with you. Sitting on my own cloud, playing my own harp, now that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> or being close enough to hear you play your harp, I would be looking forward to knocking you off your cloud. What are we going to do in heaven for eternity? We're going to serve. We're going to serve. We're going to serve in heaven and God, and we're not going to go there. So listen, you need to get some exercise now, or you're going to be sore for millennia when you start serving when you get to heaven because you've not done anything in the church. All right, here's number five, and this is where we're closing. Right, Give me a few more minutes. Uh, God made me for a mission. God made me for a mission. Look at what Jesus said. He says, as you, this is in his prayer, in his priestly prayer, he says, as you have sent me, talking to the Father, into this world, I have sent them into this world. We are here on a mission. How many of you know Jesus was on a mission? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting. Jesus came for a mission. That mission lasted about 33 years. Jesus, as he's getting ready to go back to the Father, says, just as you've sent me here on a mission, I'm sending them on a mission. If you are a believer in this room, God puts you here for a mission. Some people's mission is going to last 60 years. Some people's mission is going to last 70 years. Some people's mission is going to last 80 and 90 and 100. But you are here on a mission. So what do we do with that mission? Number one, write this down, or just the, the first point there. We must embrace God's vision for our life. We must embrace God's vision for our life. Look at, look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It says, But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom instruction. Blessed is the one who heeds wisdom instruction. God created you for a mission. God created you to serve him. God created you to be part of his body. God created you for his pleasure. That's instruction. That's wisdom. We must embrace God's wisdom and God's vision for our lives. Here's Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32. It says, Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Blessed are those who keep my ways. That's envisioning God's mission for your life. Is I listen to instructions, I examine my shape, then I serve God and listen to those last few words. Blessed are those who keep my ways. If you want to be blessed by God, embrace his vision for your life. If you want to be blessed by God, embrace it. We're growing up about uh, things that uh, uh, you wanted to just try it. Anybody ever said, just try it, right? Just try it. 
I remember, I remember things that, that, that I thought were terrible growing up. I can't get enough of now. And now what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get my kids to eat them, and guess what? They think they're terrible, right? Just taste, taste, just that the Lord is good. Look around. You say, where do I want to jump in? Look around. Man, talk to Justin and say, hey, what do you think I can do here at the church? Watch somebody else. Go see what Shane does. Find somebody else. Just see some things. I will tell you that, that um, just because you try something in the church, it may not be your shape. If all of a sudden you, you, look, uh, you go to Justin, you say, hey, Justin, uh, what can I do here at the church? I, I want to be on mission for God at the church. And Justin, and somehow he says, listen, you need to go down and take care of those three-month-olds. And you realize between 9.30 and 12.15 when the pastor gets done, you've changed about 12 diapers. You might realize I'm out on this. That, that doesn't mean that you should be out on the whole church. That just means you should be out on that, right? That there are lots of places. Taste, just try it to serve God. See, look around. What do I think I would like to do? I love telling people where to go. All right, put you in the parking lot. You know, you love telling people where to go, and I'm, I'm saying that in the negative way, right? Look at Matthew chapter 12, 11, verse 28. Here's another one. Come to me, all who, are, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come. Taste, see, come. Taste, try some things out. You might be shocked that you actually like it. You might love working with youth when you didn't think you would. You might love working with children when you didn't think you would. You might love being on a mission trip when you didn't think you would. Notice your shape. Taste, see, look around, and then what? Come. Man, if you're burdened, if you're weary outside of the church, come to Christ. And so here's the fifth purpose. This is where we're closed. The purpose of life, to live life on mission for God. The number one, to live life on mission for God. Look at these last words, this last verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me read those words again. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. See, God's first thing for you to understand as a man, his plan for you, is to know his five purposes. You were created for God's pleasure. You were created to be a part of God's body. You were created to serve him and worship him. And you're created to be on mission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these guys in here. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your goodness. Uh, thank you for creating me and loving me. That's me. And God, I just pray that these guys here would have that same prayer. God, thank you for creating me the way I am and loving me the way I am, but not leaving me the way I am. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.